do this yeah uh, okay yeah i mean we're here we got the thing going <laughs> we're here we only got one more of these to do and then yep. then it runs itself from now on we yes. get the kids the kids come in we yep. just produce it um, <laughs> we just we set up the ai and we get yeah, bots right yeah exactly i mean we've said enough words now right there's got to be a gigantic uh, word library i mean so you would think so yeah you should be able to do some machine learning and right. you know there's got to be somebody who listens to us who can put together an ai based yeah. on dumb things we say and just have it run yes yeah. it's not like we have that much personality yeah we can <laughs> definitely be replaced by robots yeah i like, look forward to it dumb robots <laughs> <laughs> well until then until then we have to we have to do another one of these lives. So here we go. Hey everybody, welcome to Marvel by the Month. This is a uh, podcast where we talk about Marvel comics. Each episode, we talk about like a month's worth of them, give or take. And this is an omnibus. Bon- uh, 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 He's this not is a robot. That was not a, a robot. Right, yep. right. That's what you miss with bots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the Voight comp test. Uh, this is an omnibus bonus episode to complement our regular weekly episodes. We are going to cover all of the June 1970 issues on Marvel Unlimited that we didn't cover in our main episode with Matt Fraction last week. Uh, my name is Brian Stratton. Mine is Rob Milne. I'm Jamie Wenger. And so, boys, this is also our last regular episode of the season. We are uh, we're going to take a few weeks off after this. Um, we're going to come back in March. I don't know when exactly, but it'll be in March. We're going to be spending that time, uh, you know, basically laying out the next season. There's a ton of upfront work that has to happen uh, between seasons and all this. Uh, we used to just try to roll from one season straight into the next. That's a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we're going to be a little bit more intentional with the planning. And this next season might not be whatever this last season was. Uh, almost as many episodes as much of the rest of our catalog. It yeah. was so oh, wow. many episodes. Yeah, we were um, doing it. We were doing like two episodes per month. Um, yeah. With and then you know some bonus episodes here and there. So, uh, but we are also you know heading into let's say a fallow period of uh, of Marvel. <laughs> a um, cur- Kirby less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we might you know might figure out a way to sort of step on the gas a little bit uh, and get to the good stuff. Because we want to we want to get to those all new, all different X-Men. There is a bunch of good stuff coming up, too, that we are looking forward to. There's all the, the monster stuff uh, and all that. But um, but yeah, uh, you know, these are the kind of things that we're going to be uh, uh, kind of having high level summit meetings about um, and figuring out we're going to have uh, whiteboards and we're going to have 
strings connecting uh, bits of information <laughs> on cork boards, uh, things like yeah. that. So, our our string budget is going to be way higher next mm, year. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for your Patreon support. <laughs> <laughs> for a good cause. It's all going to string and thumbtacks. Yeah. yeah. So I guess you know, <laughs> what I mean to say is we have no idea what exactly we're doing, but if you want to stay uh, in the loop on what we're doing um, and when you can expect to hear us again, uh, stay tuned to our social channels, especially Instagram, which is at Marvel by the Month, and Twitter, uh, at Marvel BTM. And uh, you will be among the first to know. I'm, I'm excited for next season because I'll know what's going on this time because this will be my uh, like next season will be my first season being there for the premiere. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of just getting thrown into it and exactly. saying, figure it out, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. I'm going to yeah. follow along on the socials. Read some comics, kid. Good luck. Here's <laughs> a mic. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, so let's get into uh, this this last month of comics for uh, the, the season. Um, as usual, uh, this month's issue of Sergeant Fury is not on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, it has also gone to every other uh, issue now is a reprint. So <laughs> that's the other reason we're not really following it all that closely. But that leaves uh, eight other Marvel Universe stories for us to cover this month. So without further ado, I will take us into the first of these eight, which is called The Young Warriors. Uh, it's an Amazing Adventures number two. Um, it's written by Gary Friedrich. Art is by John Busema, inked by John Veerporten. So we touched on this one real briefly uh, in the Patreon-exclusive extended cut of last week's episode with Matt Fraction. Because he insisted. Yeah. Basically, uh, Fraction really wanted to talk about this story, uh, so we did briefly in the extended version. Uh, you know, We said, uh, hey, we're going to read Am- uh, Amazing Adventures number two, and he's like, if you're going to make me read an Inhuman story after they broke my heart, uh, <laughs> you're, I, I want to talk about Black Widow and that beautiful, beautiful John Buscema artwork. Uh, so we did. And if you're a Patreon backer, you heard that. But uh, just wanted to dig into this one a little bit more for those who didn't catch that. This is another story uh, that is set in East Harlem, as the first story was, and uh, it is is also a story that's ripped from the headlines. So it, it plays off of the December 1969 takeover uh, of the first Spanish United Methodist Church by the Young Lords Party, which I think we mentioned uh, in one of our historical context. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. We definitely yeah. did. Um, and they, they were uh, a Puerto Rican liberation group that used the church as a base of operations for about a week or so. Uh, well, for their occupation, the occupation was about a week or so, um, to provide free breakfast and after-school care to uh, local children. And then uh, in this story, the Young Warriors, which is what they're called, uh, it's the Marvel version of the uh, Young Lords, uh, they pretty much do the exact same thing. But instead of a church, uh, it's a building owned by the mob, uh, run by a corrupt politician named Anthony Scarola. (laughs) Scarola. The Black Widow shows up uh, to support the young warriors uh, and the work that they're doing, uh, but the mob has the law on their side, so the young warriors have 24 hours to vacate the premises, uh, and the widow's involvement on behalf of the young warriors brands her a militant in the press, um, which seems to be just about the worst thing you can be called uh, in the 1970s from what we are reading in Marvel Comics uh, at this time. So that's basically the story. It's very... Mm -hmm. Very short. Um, I, w- I would describe it as good. It is a good story. Yeah. yeah. Like competently executed, like interesting. There's potential. It won't change your life, but it's like a great female protagonist story. It, you know, before that was super common. Yeah. And yeah. it's only, t- it's 10 pages. So there's not a lot of room to do much of anything, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a nice juxtaposition between the sort of wealthy Natasha and what is going on on the streets you know yeah. so so they're taking this character and and putting this this you know 
juxtaposition in place just to make it nice. more yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's really all I have to say about that one. Rob, how do you feel about walking us through the other Spider-themed uh, hero in the Marvel Universe? I would love to talk about the amazing Spider-Man. Um, this is uh, number 88. Written by Stan Lee, art by John Romita and Jim Mooney. It's called The Arms of Dr. Octopus, which sounds like a soap opera, but um, <laughs> it is not. <laughs> they're, they're not for loving. <laughs> yeah, I want the loving arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we begin this story. Uh, first of all, we get a cover where we see just Doc Ock's arms just smacking Spidey around <laughs> all by themselves, just <laughs> doing what they do. Um it's it's very almost like Doctor Seussian. Um, yes, yeah. Do you do you remember that story? It's like one of the stories in the Sneeches book where about the like the green pants that are just like running around um, by themselves. Yeah, and the, it, the, the pale green pants, pale green yeah. pants with nobody inside them. Yeah, which terrified me as a child. Um, so that's what this made. Me that's think why of. you still don't wear pants. But yep. yeah, <laughs> the <laughs> origin <laughs> story <laughs> to uh, the Donald Ducking of Brian Stratton. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, okay, back to the story. We we begin the story with a lecture going on at the Museum of Natural Science where Doc Ock's arms are on display with a little sign that says actual arms underneath them. <laughs> uh, and there's a big uh, scene or picture cast behind them of Spidey fighting Doc. Doc Ock. I would yeah. see that. That sounds fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like half academic, half sideshow. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, you know, because uh, this is the Marvel Universe, you know, and talking of sideshows, like we know what carnivals mean. Uh, <laughs> and so, so how quickly does this go bad, and and how bad does it go? Okay, it goes. So we're reminded in this lecture uh, that Doc Ock controls the limbs with mental powers that he got from his atomic accident. Then we immediately cut to a prison in the Midwest where Doc Ock is uh, supposed to be far enough away from New York City to not control his limbs. That was their big plan. I don't know why they didn't put them in something or I don't. But anyway, (laughs) he's been uh, doing mental push-ups and getting ripped in the hooskow. I mean, brain ripped. And so now he's he gets the limbs to start terrorizing everyone at the museum and trying to head for him. Mm-hmm. So he can, he's been just working on the force. He can lift the X-wing now. Um, I would describe the, the limbs traveling there as like unintentionally hilarious. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's just every scene of it is just so bizarre. And it does, you know, your Dr. Seuss reference does work on many panels and it's just, yep. and also like the, the crowds running away from just these four limbs and a little metal thing holding them together is kind <laughs> of hilarious too. Um, it just looks like some kind of, mechanical device went awry and everyone's like oh no the weed eater you know yeah. <laughs> right right it's just I, no points yeah and yeah. I, I i love the fact that that uh spidey is having a really hard in fact he's he can't subdue right. the arms which <laughs> no. i mean basically what that tells us is that <laughs> doc ock adds nothing to this equation right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like in these fact, arms maybe his fine. vanity gets in the way yeah so the yeah. arms can, can be made yeah so these guys should go out on their own. But, yeah. Um, but so, yeah, to, to that point, Spidey's in town swinging by, sees them, gets in a punch up with them immediately, thinks he's going to win pretty handily, like because Doc Ock is far away at the very least. So he like tries his old like tie up the limbs, web up the limbs. They're mm-hmm. smarter than that without Doc Ock there, I guess. And then they really pin him to a wall and 
when they're and punch a wall a whole bunch while they're fighting they do enough damage to a building that spidey needs to web it up to hold it together and the limbs get away yeah he, <laughs> he could not lose this fight much worse yeah yeah uh, <laughs> It's and there's like smoke and fire trucks. It's it's really well done as far as like pacing this bizarre fight with this disembodied limbs. Um, <laughs> so then he's too late to to be able to chase them. He decides uh, it's time to change back into Peter Parker and do some studying because his grades are slipping uh, because he's not attending classes very often. Um, mm-hmm. So he goes to school after staying up most of the night studying. Uh, sees that he needs to go talk to the professor because there's a bulletin board telling him that. But then he sees Gwen, gets a smooch. That's a nice little scene. Professor says, you, of course, haven't been showing up and your grades are slipping. You're on a scholarship. You got to get your stuff together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, this is Professor Warren, who we have seen as a supporting character uh, several times before. And, you know, really what you're you're kind of left with the impression is that, you know, if, if boy, if... If Peter's attention is divided between his civilian life and his Spider-Man life, it's like maybe if there were two Peter Parkers, he'd be able to <laughs> to manage this a little bit better. But I mean, that's probably a crazy thought. So yeah, we'll just move on. Yeah, that's impossible. Yeah. Um, so Gwen and Pete go out to coffee to sort of lift his spirits a bit, and we cut back to <laughs> the uh, the arms of Doc Ock breaking him out of jail in the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> Which apparently, like, they must have walked at least 500 miles, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I would love to see the path of destruction that these mindless <laughs> limbs have <laughs> rent. Because it's not like they have cameras on them. Doc right. is just like, come this way. And they're just yep. trashing <laughs> everything <laughs> in their path. Um, so that would be its own comic. I want to find out about those 500 miles, the adventures yeah. of the limbs. Um, <laughs> then we now... Meanwhile, meanwhile, cut to uh, Chicago's O'Hare Airport, where there is a a sizable 747 waiting to take off. And J. Jonah Jameson is there um, telling basically sort of thanking his son for uh, getting him a ride on this plane because he's trying to get back to New York quickly. And this is a special military plane that is flying a General Sioux. I don't know if they mention his exact country but i mean uh, i think you're meant to believe like he's probably like a vietnamese general or something yeah that's my impression too yeah uh and general su is being flown to the un to and they're having some peace talks even on the plane so Mm -hmm. um so that's great except that happens to be the plane that doc ock and his arms now reunited at last uh (laughs) <laughs> smuggle themselves on board i feel like the dr octopus characterization in this is like off or inconsistent very it's, it's very, very right? i don't think i don't think stan scripted this yeah i don't think so either because yeah. even uh what's her uh gwen mm-hmm. doesn't sound like gwen either she sounds like mj i mean yeah. i know there's not a huge difference but like yeah every everything about this seems like just a little bit to the side of what it normally is yeah it, it's like doc doc ock is there's points where he just seems like he's trying to be like a little too cool and a little too hip. Yeah, there is a moment. So basically Doc Ock gets on this plane, finds out what's going on, holds some people hostage. Then uh, he he understands the stakes are higher. So he knows he can request more cool stuff when he lands because he's got these hostages. 
and when he's doing that, he's just gloating. Like there's this, the shot where he's sitting near the cabin of the plane, just <laughs> kicked back his feet crossed straight yeah. out and his hands behind his head. He looks like it's like a Han Solo posture of confidence, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah he's super chill. Um, and his dialogue in that panel makes me think that this is, this is one of the panels where I, it made me think that Stan didn't dialogue this. He, he's like, I heard that Colonel. How about telling them, telling him that I may be a criminal, but there's nothing common about old Doc Ock. Yeah. Uh, and the and then, yeah, the old Doc Ock. And then uh, John Jameson says, give it up, mister. You can't take on the whole government and get away with it. And Doc responds, that's so, soldier. I don't notice anyone stopping me. Like, it yeah, just like, it seems yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. He usually yeah. is more formal and doesn't yeah. refer to himself as Doc Ock. No. Um, yeah. So that's also odd. Um, so, uh, then we, we cut to New York where this plane is headed to at the bugle. Robbie Robertson gets word, grabs Pete to shoot some things. They go to do journalistic things, uh, and they run into captain Stacy at the airport almost, you know, pretty quickly Pete, uh, sneaks away. There's one notable thing at the airport. There is a, there are demonstrators, both pro and con, this general Sue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they treated protesters really strangely in this. It, yeah. Like they're kind of dismissed, which seems super inconsistent with how we've seen protesters so far. It makes me wonder if they're getting letters. Uh, oh. Because like Stan was spending so much time on college campuses and like protest culture was like, it, it was all over the Marvel books at this point. And it was very, very like, you know, pro protest movement um Mm -hmm. and i i wonder if there was some sort of backlash that they're trying to kind of like well both sides you know yeah this this the protesters though are are there because they there's peace talks trying to happen and they're protesting him as a warmonger and not to free him and like (laughs) capture him which doesn't seem like it gels with exactly the sort of hippie movement and right uh, like anything to do with a peaceful resolution would be more supported and other things would be protested, but Mm. whatever. That's another thing that makes me think that maybe Roy Thomas was scripting this because he gets the protest wrong. Like, I mean, (laughs) the protest vibe is not right, you know? So racial tensions wrong, but yeah, yeah, um, (laughs) Yeah, we did have his fingerprints all over it. We should have known right away. (laughs) Uh, But uh, Pete manages to sneak away, uh, change into Spidey, and then gets uh, sneaks himself onto the plane, and he does that by it looks like he pulls the fuselage open, but maybe it's a door, and then surprises Doc Ock, sprays webbing on his glasses, uh, so he effectively blinds him. Then uh, Spidey helps to you know get everyone off of the plane while he's fighting with Doc Ock, and then the still blind Doc Ock takes off with the plane. Spidey jumps out, and then the plane explodes. So that's the last we're ever going to hear of Dr. Otto Octavius. That's it. Well, it was a good run. Glad we got to be here for it. Glad we got to end this season on such a high note. The death of Dr. Octopus. Yeah. Never to return. We have another uh, a big uh, moment uh, over in Avengers, uh, we have so we saw that at the very end of the last issue that we talked about, and here in Avengers number seventy nine, the story is called "Lo, the Lethal Legion," and we get to see them in action for the first time. Uh, this one's written by Roy Thomas, the art's by John Buscema, inked by Tom Palmer. 
we saw at the end of our last issue, uh, the Black Panther and his friend Monica Lynn were kidnapped by the Lethal Legion, um, which is a team of super bad boys uh, <laughs> made up of the Man Ape, Living Laser, Swordsman, and Power Man, and they are led by the Grim Reaper in his new uh, all dark purple costume. Um, which is so much better uh, than that kind of multicolored disaster he was wearing when we first saw him in Avengers 52. Um, so much more tasteful, except for the, you know, the Jolly Roger thing on his chest, but it's still. Right. <laughs> same, uh, same basic costume, just a much better color scheme. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the beginning of the story, the Avengers, uh, including Captain America, Thor and Iron Man, who don't often show up um, for meetings, uh, they meet to figure out how they're going to find out what happened to the Panther. Um, They don't know that he's been kidnapped yet. But Vision says there's a much more urgent situation that they need to take care of. Um, And that's to go to the school where the Panther is teaching as Luke Charles uh, and tell them that he won't be showing up for work today. (laughs) That's a weird decision. decision. (laughs) So he puts on a super creepy human disguise uh, and freaks out the little old lady working as the office secretary as he delivers the message. He freaks out Thor on the way out of the building. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone's (laughs) creeped out by this dude. He's got a skin suit, man. It's gross. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny because, like, this is the one time I think we've seen uh, in in Marvel Comics so far where, uh, you know, a character who puts on a rubber mask to disguise themselves as someone else. uh, It's not immediately just seen as a perfect 100 percent natural (laughs) human disguise. Right. Uh, right. I think part the main part of it was his creepy voice, though. Thor's point was the it doesn't matter what he dresses like. He sounds like the this is his quote just to get it in there would would that he could as readily alter his android voice which still doth chill like the dankest tomb like damn Thor's scared it's so cute yeah (laughs) laying it out a little thick there goldilocks (laughs) meanwhile as all this is is happening um the panther manages to free himself from the lethal legion's uh trap um, perhaps a little too easily, and he gets a message to the Avengers. Uh, he relays three locations that the Lethal Legion uh, has targeted. It turns out, though, that the Lethal Legion expected him to free himself and fed him information that would result in the Avengers walking into a trap. Before I, before they revealed that it was fake, mm-hmm. I, had, I had written down the quote, I must be off to Greenwich Village for reasons of my own. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> what are you up to, buddy? <laughs> Uh, so the Avengers, uh, they 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 go on the uh, along with the Black Panther's information, and they fall prey to uh, the Lethal Legion, who is lying in wait for them. Power Man and the Swordsman capture Hawk, Goliathai, and the Scarlet Witch. The Man Ape and Living Laser get the drop on Cap and Quicksilver, and Thor and Iron Man just kind of disappear from the story uh, with no explanation, and no one wonders where they went. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Well, that's, the answer is shrug. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so the Lethal Legion, um, they, they've got all the Avengers trapped inside of a gas-filled hourglass. Classic. Um, this man, everything they were doing was great up until then. They really, it was a great plan. It was yeah. well executed. And then you gotta, you just, and I can't resist putting them in a giant hourglass filled with gas. Yeah. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And yeah. as we learned from Matt Fraction recording in a fume-filled basement last week, that's <laughs> not really going to take them out of the picture either. He was pretty coherent for two and a half hours with us so you know anyway power man shows up uh dragging the limp form of the vision um the final avenger uh who was not captured uh and they chuck him in there too uh but then the grim reaper um 
is uh, looking through the Avengers records and he discovers that the Vision has the brain patterns of his late brother, Wonder Man. And remember, this is the whole justification for the Grim Reaper wanting revenge on the Avengers as he believed that that they were responsible for his brother's death. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's like, oh my God, the Robot Man has my brother's brain and I, if I kill him, it's like I'm doing the same thing that they did. So he uh, he he smashes open the hourglass to free him, but they quickly discover that's not the Vision in there; it's Power Man. And then the ghostly form of the Vision sort of floats out of Power Man's costume with the skin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like sort of like Neil Adams' Dead Man. And I I don't quite understand this. Are we so was that Power Man's costume with like the creepy rubber mask that he was wearing I, earlier? I think that's or, what it, the only thing it could be to fit vision's power set but it looked like he was inhabiting a physical form yeah Yeah. that's exactly what it looked like yeah this whole thing just got away from itself like right right there (laughs) like the dream reaper's twist could have been enough you know like he has a change of heart and lets him out you know happiness ensues right well so anyway then there's another twist uh (laughs) so it 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 turns out that, that the avengers suspected something was up from the start uh, so they let the Lethal Legion get the better of them. So they triple first, double cross the Lethal Legion. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, like it's so. A- first, Chala escapes, but he doesn't really escape because they let him escape. And then he feeds information to the Avengers, but he knew it was bad information, <laughs> and they knew. And you know, anyway, oh, yeah, was, he did the Star Trek uh, code. You know, uh, if hours were minutes or whatever, like right. the, the way he says the information. Promet- Prometheus. Uh, yeah, what is Prometheus that priority? Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, right, I, right. I, I did. I was like, yeah, I want that to be something that gets used more often. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> you know, long story long, uh, everyone's smarter than everyone else in this story. Um, <laughs> they take out the Lethal Legion, and it looks like everything's gonna be okay, but all is not well. The Vision is sad that everyone thinks he's a total creep and he quits the Avengers. In like three panels at the yeah, very like end. Just all of a sudden, you know, he just he may have found out he has a brother if yeah. he hadn't really considered that before. And instead of hanging out, it's just immediately, I'm I'm done. I've already, I just creep people. Maybe it was creeping that lady out when he went to, you know, say T'Challa wasn't coming in or Luke Charles wasn't coming into work today. Yeah. Um, but like, I feel like Black Panther absorbed a lot more casual racism in this issue, uh, just like scattered here and there, like little yeah. sprinkles. And Same with uh, Mabaku. The yeah. yeah, the the man ape. There was a lot of jungle this and stuff. And yeah, there. I, it, it got. I had a. I'd say a. It was a medium cringe uh, mm-hmm. comic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't even really talk about Mabaku because the way that the character is written at this time, there's just going to be a lot of that. Um, and it's anyway. Uh, so, Hey, Jamie, uh, speaking of, uh, casual racism, uh, would you like to tell us (laughs) (laughs) about, uh, a Titan stocks, the tenements? Sure. I will tell you about the incredible Hulk issue. 131, written by Roy Thomas art by her trivia. Last issue, we left off with a sense-shattering conclusion. The Hulk and Bruce Banner have been physically separated into individual bodies by mad science gone mad. The Hulk wants to track down Banner to prevent Banner from locking him in the dark prison ever again. I thought that sounded awesome, and I was hoping that would be a thing, but not so much. (laughs) I mean, it will Um, like 30 years from now. (laughs) Right, right. Like every good thing about the Hulk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
but Hulk doesn't know how to find Banner in the big city. So he's like lurking out in the woods. And he reasons that if Hulk can't go to Banner, Hulk will make Banner come to Hulk through smashing. So he like smashes the ground a bunch. That didn't go where I thought it was going to go either. Nope. <laughs> just he just smashed it and then moved on. <laughs> then, then, then we move on. Uh, so the new, uh, more chill, laid back General Ross, like they are, I, they're doing this in every issue now. Like he's yep. just like super calm, super laid back. His body language, real chill. He tells Banner, Banner's safe. He doesn't have anything to worry about. But Banner can't stop worrying that the Hulk is going to smash stuff, and it'll be kind of be Banner's fault. Um, this is clearly a good instinct because we've just seen the Hulk do exactly that. <laughs> So then Ross tells him that the army can handle Hulk now, uh, now that Bruce is out of the picture, which again is super funny given that this is issue 130 of the Hulk <laughs> smashing the army. Like just, yeah. they've never been able to do it. I don't know and why. And now there's no reason with, I mean, there presumably is no reasonable human brain inside of the Hulk. So right. it, although rage embodiment. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't play out that way, which is also interesting. Yeah. They theorize that it's possible to, that if they do kill the Hulk, that Banner will also die. Um, but Banner says that that's totally worth it. Betty is having none of this and continues to put her hands all over her bare-chested boyfriend in front of her dad. Mm-hmm. No one oh, pays yeah. her any attention in this whole issue. Robert Bruce Banner never puts on, you know, a <laughs> yeah. shirt or shoes anymore. He's just like, I'm never going into a 7-Eleven. That's <laughs> yeah, it. Right. I, like, yeah. he has many opportunities. It's been presumably days he flew in a you know jet fighter into space mm-hmm. and still didn't bother to put a shirt on. He doesn't even have like an emergency blanket around him. No, yeah. no he's completely shirtless. And he's just ripped. used to it now. He's like, I just wake up this way every day anyway, so yep. why bother? Yeah, I'm just going to lose the shirt. So He's depressed. Yeah. He's depressed. <laughs> right, right. Why even bother? <laughs> Meanwhile, in L.A., Jim Wilson, a starving 15-year-old black boy, steals the purse of a black woman, but he feels terrible about it. And he later cries that the woman called him a thief, even though she actually doesn't call him a thief. She only counts, shouts, um, like, my purse, stop. And he actually dropped the wallet where she could find it. So he didn't even fully steal the thing. He He's obviously taken an AP class on ethics or two. <laughs> like, he's very hyper aware of that. Jim's just barely been surviving in a literally semi-demolished apartment. Like, there is a wrecking ball hole in the in the corner of the, of the brickwork. And yes. this, this is where his parents died. Yeah. Um, and he's just feeling deep shame about what he's letting this situation turn him into. Naturally, the Hulk walks in and they befriend each other. Why wouldn't he? Exactly. Yeah. So here's 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 the thing. I'm struggling to think of a time where Roy Thomas has written a black character that is not in like abject poverty or the jungle. Mm-hmm. He goes to this like cartoonishly apocalyptically yeah desiccated area like it's not enough that he's just you know i don't know there's this like hyper exaggerated and also kind of continues doing the thing where uh just like you can't have a female character in the story mm-hmm. without referring to how female this character is repeatedly mm-hmm. like you also can't have a black character in the story without like well, your character is that you're black. Uh, right. And because you're black, you're also poor. Like, you know, I mean, that's kind of the thing uh, that just keeps coming up again and again and again in this story. And I feel like, I mean, we're seeing this with like the kids that Black Panther is teaching and just like there's this stuff that keeps creeping in. Um, and it's just 
man. Like it's, it's more you know, obvious from this point of view for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well put. Yeah. And I the mean, only from, other from character, fifty years in the yeah, fifty yeah. years in the future, looking back, obviously. I mean, you know, like at, there at there were point. no black characters in comics, you know, ten years before. So you know, this is what <laughs> these are the first tentative steps, and it's not going great so far. Yeah, yeah. And, but we've seen Sam Wilson. We've seen we've seen Stan do a better job, frankly. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in many cases. But, uh, and the only other character that I could think of that Roy has written was the, you know, white supremacist, uh, serpent society, false. You know, oh my gosh. Yeah. Montague Hale, black, white supremacist. Right. <laughs> black, white supremacist. I, I, I couldn't quite figure out how to frame that. I guess yeah. that's. <laughs> it, yeah. It's the, like you said, it's clumsy. Yeah. But not, uh, bad intentions, just old oh yeah no yeah yeah, i mean it's he doesn't know how to do it Mm -hmm. and (laughs) probably shouldn't be doing right 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 right. yeah i think that's the hard part it's like he Mm -hmm. he means well i'm sure of that but uh it's so far and i'm hoping that we get you know much like when he first started writing um you know x-men stories where we were like well this is convoluted um Mm -hmm. so now i'm hoping he gets He's getting, you know, beyond the convoluted. Now we just need to get beyond the well-meaning white guy misinterpreting um, how to deal with or present race. Yeah. You mean like like when uh, at, the, at the end of page five, when the Hulk is sitting next to Jim Wilson on the couch and he says, yes, world hates both of us because we're different. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You kind of nailed that. Yeah. Being black in America is exactly like being the Hulk. <laughs> oh, man. But they share a candy bar. Yeah. That's yeah, nice. That's yeah. kind of touching. Yep. This very, very hungry kid gives, gives like, up. some of his only food to the giant Hulk who looks peckish. Um, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. He's gre- he, I mean, he's green with hunger. <laughs> yeah. It's a real sloth chunk situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does. It feels like the prototype for Goonies. Yeah. Yeah. This paved the way for Goonies. Um, so anyway they're buds now Hulk tasks Jim with finding and retrieving Banner so that Hulk can smash him Uh, Jim with his complicated moral compass points out that he has no beef with Banner but asks what's Whitey ever done for me that I should care if you cream him (laughs) yep Um, (laughs) so yeah uh, oh and then uh, yeah Jim gives him the last of his food uh, Hulk says he likes Jim, but indicates he will smash him if Jim starts lying. <laughs> and Jim gets it. You know, he's the Hulk. He's kind of only has one one gimmick. A single panel later, Jim realizes that he was just recently having an ethical problem with stealing a purse to feed his starving self. And now he's going to like straight to secondhand murder. Um, and he's thinking <laughs> that might not be in his wheelhouse. So he's having second thoughts already. Meanwhile, over with Banner, he's still shirtless and <laughs> proposes uh, remerging with the Hulk, but Ross denies this plan. Uh, Jim, having already snuck into the army base, he sees all this and thinks that Banner has guts just like his dad used to. As he comes to this realization, Jim gets caught, uh, he gets caught creeping by the military guys um, and reluctantly and sort of sassily spills the beans on what's going on with the Hulk. Banner says that Hulk hiding out seems weird, which it is. Uh, mm-hmm. And Jim asks that they try not yeah. to hurt the Hulk. I thought that was like an important line because it means that they're the writers of the comic are having the same thoughts that like a reader would. 
I, I don't know. I had high hopes that this was leading to something, but is isn't so much. Well, it's leading to something that you didn't <laughs> see coming. Uh, and then Iron Man shows up. <laughs> you know, a story just in definite lack of a whole other superhero. <laughs> he wants to help. Uh, so, so they come up with the same plan that Bruce mentioned, you know, a couple panels earlier to recombine them. Betty again protests. Nobody much cares. Uh, Jim struggles a little bit more with trying the Hulk. But he does it anyway, and they lead the Hulk into an ambush. This ambush setup is kind of awesome. It's a, a truck, a giant truck, and the wall of the truck comes down, and there's a giant ray gun inside with Iron Man like aiming the ray gun. It's kind of great. You one would assume at this phase of knowledge of the Hulk that the Hulk without banner would just be straight running through buildings for yeah. no reason. Like right, sure. just rage. Yeah. Yeah. So the implication is kind of that the chunk of Hulk rage is actually Banner. Cause like you subtracted yeah. Banner from the Hulk equation here and he's just like calm. He's making friends. He's eating candy bars on the couch. Like <laughs> he's super <laughs> chill. Yeah. Uh, anyway. And he's not dumb. He's, I mean, he's still, he's not smart, but he's still trying to get a plan together to lure mm-hmm. Banner and kill him. You know, yeah, yeah. he's, uh, he's outsourcing. Yeah. So yeah, so Hulk has been betrayed. Uh, he threatens Jim for having done so and uses him as a human shield uh, while Jim pleads that this is the only way that he thought to, to, that he could get Hulk the help that he needs. Iron Man then goes after Hulk. Jim slips away and they have a sick fight scene. I thought this was like one of the best looking fight scenes we've seen in a while. Just a lot of different perspectives and action. Uh, well, well done action. Mm-hmm. I love the uh, the the John Severin inks in this issue too. I don't know is if that doing it. The top. Oh, yeah. that's that's it's John, it. Johnny Severin's inking it. Yeah, um, and I love his inks over Trimpy's pencils. I that that was it. I just kept going. Trimpy seems like the game is much much higher now. Yeah, and, um, and that makes sense because Severin yep. does such a detailed, nice, uh, just beautiful job. So very much. Yep. Well, mm-hmm. there's like uh, amazing contrast between rubble and junk and trash yeah and then like iron man like his stuff just looks sleek and shiny yeah uh which is like you see you, you didn't need iron man in the story even a little bit yeah right? but if you're gonna have him it's cool that he looks like in contrast to everything else yeah and, and severin i think is inking this because uh trimpy is inking kirby on silver surfer this month oh so, cool yeah the plan was that trimpy was going to take over silver surfer with the next issue, which never comes out. So, but that's why they had him inking Kirby on Silver Surfer 18. So, oh, that is super interesting. There you that. go, true believers. <laughs> you heard it here first or eventually. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, I'm certain you did not hear it here first <laughs> because we heard it from other people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Iron Man has had enough of getting beat up, so he shoots the top of the building off onto Hulk. <laughs> Hulk crawls out of the rubble and they blast him with the ray and then Banner gets in on the ray gun action too. So they both are blasted together and it works kind of, uh, instead of what they thought would happen. Banner has now disappeared into the Hulk, leaving the Hulk body unconscious. We have no idea what will happen next when Hulk wakes up. I thought this was one of the best cliffhangers we've seen in most of these comics. Mm-hmm. Like I genuinely don't know what direction this book is going in after yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's uh, like when the Hulk's asleep, um, he becomes banner. So this is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and then the issue ends with Jim saying, may God protect us from guys who do the right thing, which I guess is immoral. I I don't know. It's kind of a weird 
final note. Yeah. Uh, so I think Jim Wilson turns out to be Sam Wilson's nephew. What? Yeah. Yeah. He shows up again um, later on in Hulk. I know his last appearance is during Peter David's run. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So he's. Oh, uh, oh my God. Is he the, in the bed with the black mm-hmm. cover? Mm-hmm. <gasps> I have that. Whoa. Yep. So there you go. Oh, that's cool um, for M- for Marvel continuity. Maybe not great for racial stuff, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there's so there's definitely like I, I I will just also throw this out there. Like, if you read this issue, like, be prepared for some language that is you know of its era uh, and has not aged super well, um, and some some references that that's uh, just not great. You know, I mean, yeah. just, just go in with it. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it, it is like we said earlier, it's, it's certainly not meant to be. Um, I don't think it's mean spirited. I don't think it's, you know, it's ill intentioned, but you know, it's, it's just written in a time where uh, it, you know, writer, white writers thought that good intentions were enough to carry a story and, you know, didn't really necessarily do enough of the homework to, mm. to make it, same so yeah there were uh yeah this this one had more higher level of cringes than the avengers story when some of that stuff went by yeah and i'm not saying don't read these issues i'm just saying you know be aware of the time that they were written and you know the blind spots that writers of the era had you know Mm -hmm. it's just uh i don't think it invalidates them i don't think you you know you cancel these or or you know anything like that but Go into it with a, a sense of, of what it is and what it isn't. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of going into things with a sense of what it is and what it isn't, <laughs> <laughs> Brian, would you like to tell us about the vengeance of the Red Skull? Sure. Uh, this one's, I'm going to make this a quick one. Um, uh, so this is Captain America number 129. It's written by Stan Lee. The art is by Gene Colan, inked by Dick Ayers. Uh, so uh, this is the second story this month um, of superheroes rescuing foreign leaders to preserve world peace um it's a real theme running through the marvels of uh june 1970 um the the red skull he's back uh he has a plan to kidnap and kill king hasab of arabia which is i-r-a-b-i-a so it's like iran and arabia squished together um uh, King Hassab is touring uh, the Midwest for some reason. So a lot of Midwest action uh, this month in Marvel Comics. Uh, the, so the Red Skull, uh, he's going to uh, kidnap and kill King Hassab uh, because he believes that doing so is going to touch off World War III somehow, um, <laughs> which will somehow work out to his advantage. Um, he's not a details man. He's a nope. big picture guy. No, he's got a Red Skull. That's all yep. you need. I love the, the the villain plot that is cause World War Three, then rule the aftermath. <laughs> that is that is the like a, the greater. leader's plan. There's yep. tons of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and because he is the Red Skull, he's also uh, gonna kill Cap at the same time he does this. So yeah. it's, it's got a, a few plates spinning here. Uh, Cap is really leaning into his uh, easy rider phase of life, which is basically indistinguishable from a midlife crisis. Um, <laughs> he, he bought a motorcycle. He left his home abruptly uh, and he's riding the highways, seeing America <laughs> free uh, and unattached. He's also wearing just he has like a, a jacket open with his full, you know, Captain America tunic uh, underneath it visible but he's like i'm wearing goggles and i'm going pretty fast so people won't recognize me that's his plan <laughs> like he just right. does not give a crap uh, yeah yeah 
I guess it's probably covered in bugs, right? So like eventually the costume is just like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um the uh the Red Skulls men uh inadvertently invent uh 50% of the B plots uh for Dukes of Hazard uh, <laughs> by switching some road signs to send both Cap and Hassab's motorcade toward a town called Clifton instead of Asheville, where the Secret Service is waiting to escort them. Do you think that's uh, a federal crime? I'm pretty sure. I yeah, think it should be. Like, well, we, yeah, we have a federal. Do we have a federal highway system at this point? I think we do. Yeah. So it's either a state crime or a federal crime for sure. Yeah, that seems yeah. like a real, real awful thing to do before GPS. Yeah. You should be exactly. like, I never got home again. <laughs> that, was, that was the end of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when um, uh, when King Hassab and his, uh, his crew arrive in Clifton, uh, the skull springs his trap and kid- kidnaps King Hassab's entire limo, uh, despite Cap's best efforts to stop it. With um, a giant magnet. That's the other thing. A is giant magnet, yeah. He's like... <laughs> In a sort of helicopter, getting the whole limo with a giant magnet. So it's mm-hmm. like that's skull man. He does not. He does not do it lightly. He does it no. big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. wants the headlines. Uh, Cap takes off uh, after the helicopter in hot pursuit. He chases the skulls men back to their mountain hideaway. Um, he gets captured. Excuse me. He allows himself <laughs> to get captured. Uh, there's a lot of that going around this month. Um, uh, uh, Cap breaks free uh, and rescues Hassab from the rocket that the Red Skull planned to use to blast him into space. Again, plan just keeps escalating. Yeah. yeah. He's like, it, it wasn't going to be enough just to, you know, like execute him or something like that. He was going to launch him into space and just like leave him in space, I guess. <laughs> oh my gosh. He could have dropped a five pound dumbbell from that ship onto the car. The, like yep. the end. Yep. The end. <laughs> Um, Anyway, uh, Cap narrowly avoids being trapped in the rocket himself, uh, but the skull is not as fortunate. Uh, The rocket blasts off, definitely sending the Red Skull to space where he will absolutely die and never menace the world ever again. We've lost Red Skull and Dr. Octopus this month. Can you believe that? I know. It seems like there should have been more fanfare. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, to begin with, and I, so I mean, yeah, like like Marvel's villain pool is getting seriously depleted. Um, Rob, who do, who who do we have left? Well, <laughs> you know who we have. We have one of the greatest villains of all time, Stilt Man. Okay. Mm. <laughs> 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 Over in Daredevil number sixty-seven, we're going to talk about Stilt Man stalks the soundstage. Say that a bunch of times. Um, <laughs> this is written by Gary Friedrich and Roy Thomas together. Uh, art by Gene Colan and Sid Shores doing the finishes. So Daredevil is still in L.A. Uh, and he and Karen are sort of getting along. She seems to have forgiven him after the whole. Um, everything. Yeah. After <laughs> the, the whole everything. <laughs> the past 20 issues. Also, what does he do on the first page? <laughs> he enters her house, her apartment, without announcing himself or knocking or anything. Hi there, are you Batty, or do you all you working girls here on the West Coast leave their doors unlocked? Just like walks gross. right in. Did you yeah. think about knocking before? <laughs> yeah, he's man he, without boundaries. He's the man without he's boundaries. He's the man without boundaries. <laughs> I love it. So um, they they seem to be getting along great. As he after he breaks and enters, or he just enters, um, he. She gets a call from a new producer. Uh, they want Karen to be in a new uh, TV pilot, and it happens to be the new Stunt Master TV series. 
they also want Karen because everybody knows Karen has something to do with Daredevil to to ask Daredevil if she can contact him uh, to so he could be in the pilot too. Turns out Daredevil's standing right there. Um, so uh, Matt decides to give it a try and goes to meet the producer. Uh, while he's there, they're hamming it up uh, about. Yeah, man, like what? Like who? Who is like? <laughs> who is daredevil at this point? Like, what is his character? Is it anything <laughs> like, like, is this spy- like it's, he's more Spider-Man now, but also kind of gross and a jerk. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any consistency with his personality or his relationship with, with Karen. Yeah. He, he enters this room. So he does make quips sometimes, but it's just so weird. So he enters the producer's office and says, the star is here. Save the applause, please. And just show me to my dressing room. And once they say daredevil, he says, you were expecting maybe the midnight cowboy. So he's, he's so hip. Cracking wise. Um, So they, they start uh, talking about, you know, one, how, how they're going to, pay him which is fifty thousand dollars um this is a big pilot um so uh he says you know uh you don't have to worry about my ethics i'll take it uh yeah we know no shit we don't have to worry about your ethics (laughs) um but in the middle of this he senses the a heartbeat behind a curtain by the window he rushes to get there uh, the producer opens the curtain. No one's there. And the producer notes that they're on the fourth floor. So uh, we or are. The, the, the producer gets in his way. Yeah. The, the producer does seem to get in his way on purpose. That seems to be something of note, but it's not ever <laughs> mentioned again in this comic. So yeah. uh, and, it, yeah. and it's weird that he can hear this heartbeat through the window and a curtain but he can't hear the telescoping legs taking this, this uh, owner of the heartbeat away from the window. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or look down. But uh, at any rate, <laughs> the, uh, uh, then we cut to the set and we, uh, this is the day of the shoot. Stuntmaster's there with his cool, cool motorcycle. And <laughs> I, I wrote down in my notes, motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's going to happen everyone. a lot uh, for a lot of comics that we're going to read now. Um, so it's, I love that daredevils pals with an actual daredevil, like an actual stunt mm. man at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so daredevil sort of hamming it around a bit. Um, on the set Stuntmaster goes off to uh, get ready for his scene. He goes to his trailer where he is jumped by stilt man who is hiding in a closet, obviously not stilted up. Um, (laughs) This has one of our favorite things in it. I wasn't wasn't sure if Brian was going to call it out. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) So stilt man is hiding in the closet this whole time. And he's thinking, he's thinking a lot of things and it's, uh, yep. Just turn your back on me. That's it. Just a little bit more. Perfect. And now he all thinks. And then he says, the stilt man strikes. Correct. <laughs> yeah. As he jumps out, he just yells, the stilt man strikes. And just, you could just punch the guy. You don't need to yell that. That's also, maybe somebody's outside of the trailer, stilt man. But uh, so anyway, he gets correct by the stilt man who strikes. And uh, then it gets better. Another favorite trope. Um <laughs> Stilty uh, gets out a picture and some theatrical makeup in the trailer. And then, of course, 
He just does <laughs> makes his face look exactly like Stuntmaster. Uh, um, I just let's let's at the end of this comic circle back on what the actual plan was because I have questions. <laughs> it I gets also so much that, better. Yeah, he takes a page and a half to do this. Like <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like they they again maybe got a letter uh, saying it's like how is it possible that all these characters just create these perfect makeup jobs like. In, like in a it, minute, yeah, yeah, it's it's like no big deal. It's like okay, well, hey, you're right. That is a little unrealistic. Let's show Stiltman for a page and a half because that's what the kids want to see. Right. And you're then welcome, we'll also America. mention that still Stuntmaster yeah. is ten minutes late to the set, so that we right. know he's uh-huh. he's taking way too much time because that's what it takes if you're going to make yourself look exactly like somebody else, which is <laughs> yep. some makeup and some putty. Yep. Yeah, yeah, kids. So. uh so, so Stilty as Stunty um, heads out to the set and he's got something he describes as a new exhaust system for his hog under his arm. He, he goes out of his way to mention this to Daredevil. Right, nobody asked what he was holding. He's yeah. like, oh, by the way, this thing I'm holding. Daredevil's like, funny I didn't ask what he was carrying and his heartbeat, even his voice sounds different. And this is another far-fetched thing. I think... Mm-hmm. I think Daredevil would be able to tell somebody doing a voice. Just that's, I'm I mean, just calling. You would that. think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, that guy walked out of the trailer and was like, hi, I'm ready to get on the motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm the stunt master and I'm <laughs> right, going right. to put this on the hog. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so he walks over, starts messing around, putting, uh, what we know are his stilts, which he's attaching to the wheels is what he's thinking. <laughs> um, and then, then they start shooting the scene. This is where Daredevil is uh, supposed to swing up onto the set of a hotel roof, and Stuntmaster is going to take his uh, sweet rock jet powered motorcycle and jump up there, like fly up to chase after him. And then they're going to cut, and that's that's this scene. Um, Stuntmaster flies way higher than he should, probably because you know Stiltman doesn't actually have a jet powered motorcycle that he's ever tried to ride before. (laughs) Um, Maybe not a motorcycle for that matter. Then he, uh, so he overshoots, uh, but he tries to, it looks like send out his, it almost looks like he's sending out stilts, but he's not. Um, (laughs) He just breaks through some barrier and falls into what I presume is the ocean. And so uh, now uh, stilty dressed as stunty is under the water after flying a motorcycle over building and wrecking into the ocean. Um, he's okay. Don't worry. He's <laughs> underwater um, changing into his stilt man costume. So he can <laughs> rise. The full costume. Yeah. The yeah. Whole thing. <laughs> he's doing a whole change, probably pulling the putty off his face. Uh, it's getting where daredevil's like, He's gone. There's no trace of him. Um, We are now 17 pages into this 20 page story and the villain has not fought the hero yet. And now triumphantly, the villain springs forth on his stilts uh, and then threatens a boat and then smashes the boat for no good reason. He just Franken honey. Yeah. Meanwhile, this is all being shot by the director who's happily just shooting insanity like uh, <laughs> that's one of my favorite comic book tropes is like you know they're 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 making a fake movie or they're making a movie um and 
something goes terribly wrong and you know one of the actors is actually a supervillain so the director just keeps filming he's like this is great this is great because that's how movies are made <laughs> right, right. Um, it's like you just shoot whatever you get and then you use that footage to construct a movie around it which yep. always turns out to be like a super great film right <laughs> yeah. certainly that's what yeah. michael bay does i'm pretty sure <laughs> oh yeah yeah there has to be like a directorial school of just like improv filmmaking in the marvel universe right like <laughs> right, right. this happens so often like there's got to be guys teaching classes in nyu about how it's like if something goes wrong on the set never stop filming right, it's like right. that's what your movie is now right <laughs> galactus could show up kids i mean right, come right. on yeah <laughs> Um, so this, so that now we get the fight. We're on page eighteen. <laughs> the 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 uh, cameraman says, "Hey, this ain't in the script." The director says, "Who cares? Just keep that film rolling." Even Fellini couldn't top this. I'm pretty and, sure he could. Yep. <laughs> and then they uh, they fight, and we get most of page eighteen and all of page nineteen with no dialogue, no boxes other than a sound effect wrapping up this fight and this fight is essentially uh daredevil pretty quickly uh, swinging around stilty and pulling what i call the old snow speeder and the at at routine <laughs> um and he wraps his legs with his rope bully pulley billy club thing and knocks stilty over yeah it's, it's really strange i mean it, it looks like Stiltman is trying to swing daredevil around and fling him and daredevil is just like I'm just going to keep going around you. Like, right, right. I'm just going to yo-yo this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know exactly how this fight is working. Um, it looks but, cool and there's no dialogue and it, yeah. it, but it looks like a dumb, like this fight was over in like five, maybe three minutes of daredevil just swinging around in a circle and bam, yeah. we're done. Yeah. Yeah. It's just nonsense. And then we get, uh, a nine panel page. The nine page panel wrap 20. up. It's the classic Gene Colan. Uh, we have to end this story. So we're, we're back on the set. Uh, they obviously capture stilt man. They show some people like floating his stilts uh, over to a boat where the police are picking him up. Um, and uh, then, then we get a classic daredevil Matt Murdoch moment with Karen Um She's still excited. They think she's going to be a great star. He had a call from Foggy. Foggy wants Matt back in New York and asks Karen to come with him. And she says, I don't know. She says, I don't know. And he says, well, it's either your career or me. And (laughs) she says, it's not that simple. I like my work here. And and then he just takes off. Okay, lady, take your time. Just remember, no man can wait forever. He was already on the outs, already promised he wouldn't be Daredevil this is it. It is Matt. This is crazier than the Captain America Sharon yeah. Carter thing. Yeah, um, he already came across the country to stalk her. Yeah, and now we're meant to believe that he's just going to walk away. It's like, like no. he's having a blast. It, like they're making movies. Like, yeah. he's a celebrity now. Like it, it just came. It could not have come out more out of nowhere. Yeah, it's a. It, it, this was madness, but I was <laughs> highly amused by the whole. <laughs> Stuntmaster stilt man closet scene, just yelling the stilt man strikes as you jump out of a closet and punch someone, um, which is what I'm going to do if I ever need to punch someone. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how could you turn down an opportunity like that? So going back to Jamie's point from earlier, what was the stilt man's plan here? Right. Yeah. So step one. Hide uh, in a, oh, wait, step one. Spy, <laughs> spy on the producer's office. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Assume, from, from assuming he's just outside in a busy L.A. street. 
standing there uh, four stories up. Yeah. And and no one thought to mention to anyone, hey, did you see that four-story tall guy in the armor? Like, <laughs> right. no one got a picture of this. Like, there was no yeah. didn't come up. chatter. Yeah. No one in any of the other offices saw him through the window. And, like, why did he, I mean, unless that the producer hired him, how did he know that that meeting was going to be there in the first place? Like, was he just looking in every window waiting for something to happen or did he know? Right. And that seems like maybe they're the producers in on it, but it's the way he cut daredevil off to get, you know, maybe slow him down to get to the window. Um, but we don't know that yet. And we, I'm guessing we won't get to know that, but maybe it'll tie up. Uh, and, uh, and then, yeah, then the next stage of the plan is of course, now that you know Daredevil's involved and you want to kill Daredevil, so you hide in Stuntmaster's trailer until you can strike him and then make your face look exactly like him and then go ride a jet-powered motorcycle that you attach your stilts to and fall into the ocean and come out and wreck a boat and get and get knocked out. It I gets mean, destroyed so the, in two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so where the plan went wrong was when he failed to hit Daredevil on the motorcycle? I think where the plan went wrong is where he decided to try to do this in the first place. But, uh, <laughs> he's, and like, what is he doing in LA? I don't, I don't know any, like he flew across the country for this, you know? Right. Um, right. It's so crazy. I think this might be the beginning of establishing Stiltman as just the dumbest villain in the Marvel universe, <laughs> which is great. Um, I, lo- I love that character so much. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, um, I'm going to uh, jump us over to another armored character um, who yes. I have a lot of respect for. And <laughs> this is uh, Iron Man number 29. The story is called Save the People, Save the Country. It's written by M. Gold. Um, that's the credit. Uh, the art is by Don Heck and Chick Stone, which creates this real strong, strong Kirby effect. Uh, mm-hmm. of this, like, it's almost like late period Kirby. It's kind of like almost beyond where Kirby is at right now. It's really yeah, trippy. Like late seventies, eighties kind of style. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. I, I I dug the look of this this, uh, and so. Uh, like I said, the the um, so um, Archie Goodwin uh, has the month off uh, this month, um, and the writer of the story is credited as M Gold, as I mentioned earlier. Um, if you are thinking that um, you know maybe the use of just the first initial is meant to obscure the gender of the writer, um, I think you're correct. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, the, the, uh, writer, uh, is Mimi Gold. Um, she is only the second woman to write, uh, a Marvel universe, uh, superhero story. Um, and, uh, I, I, uh, looked her up, uh, on, uh, uh the Marvel database at marvel.fandom.com. Um, and, uh, according to that, uh, she, uh, at the time she, uh, started working for Marvel, she had been a recent graduate of NYU's Tisch School of the Arts, uh, where she studied under graduate assistant Martin Scorsese. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. A, uh, a comics-loving classmate of hers encouraged her to go out on a blind date with artist Jim Steranko. Uh, so I don't know what she did to piss that friend off, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was a lot of conversation about her uh, at, during that date. <laughs> right, right. Um, 
uh, no, he probably just showed her a bunch of close up magic. Um, <laughs> and then, always wins him over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then just negged her. Um, uh, so it, it was on a date to uh, Comic-Con in 1969 that Steranko introduced her to Stan Lee. Um, Stan was desperately in need of a secretary, uh, cause, uh, Flo Steinberg, who had been the Marvel, uh, gal Friday, uh, for yeah, basically since Marvel started, uh, she had quit the year before, um, uh, over, I, I think like some incredibly small pay increase, um, oh. request, uh, that was denied. So she was like, all right, I'm out. So uh, anyway, um, within a couple days, uh, Mimi, uh, she was ensconced behind a desk in Marvel's bullpen. One of the first things that she did when she was there was uh, get a U.S. work visa for Barry Smith. Um, Because if you remember, when he first came to America (laughs) to start doing comics for Marvel, he just kind of showed up. And the immigration authorities eventually were not wild about that. So (laughs) he was literally drawing like uh, Daredevil or X-Men on a park bench. Yeah, he was like heard. couch surfing. Yeah. He, he yeah. had like he had no plan other than to just show up. And I think that's I think a real stilt man move, man. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> but it worked out for him, just like worse after stilt man. Um, yeah, I think he showed up with Steve Parkhouse. I think that was the uh, he, him and his friend Steve Parkhouse uh, came over from England. Um, and I think I think Parkhouse wound up doing like the Bo Jeffrey saga with Alan Moore, a bunch of stuff. So uh, anyway, um, so she she got. Uh, Barry Smith uh, into the U.S. legally to work legally, um, and uh, she then um, moved up to the position of assistant editor. Um, she wound up writing several stories for Marvel's horror anthologies, and this is her first superhero story. I really wish I could say that this is like a really great or memorable piece of work. It's it's not. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's just it's just kind of not. It's also coming in from Archie Goodwin. You know, I was just going to say, spoiled. we've yeah. so spoiled by mm. Archie Goodwin's work over the last, you know, year or so. And he, he has, he had worked so hard to like build this supporting cast and this universe and the way things were working. Um, and, but like this one, like tonally, it feels totally off. Um, it, it, uh, it, it doesn't make use of any of that supporting cast that, that Archie had, had built up. Um, I feel like if this was today, uh, mm-hmm. this would have come out. This wouldn't have been part of the core title run. It just would have been like a one shot off to the side. Yeah. You know, like sometimes stuff like that happens and you're like, oh, that's weird. Like, what's this weird version of this character that I like? And I'm like, sometimes yeah. it's good and sometimes it's bad, but it's always like different and interesting. Yeah. I mean, it felt totally disconnected from the character's continuity. There's no Happy Hogan. There's no Pepper Potts. There's no Jasper Sitwell. There's no Madame Mask. There's no... There's one other thing worth mentioning before we get all the way, all the way actually into the story. Um, mm-hmm. The cover has... I, I just The cover looked super cool and super modern too. <laughs> I, and I was like, yeah. what is up with this? So I, I looked that up. There's a little insignia E7V mm-hmm. in the corner. And that was something that... Uh, Severin and was it Everett? Yeah. Um, they were, they were doing Severit. Yeah. yeah, They were doing the, yeah. So Mm -hmm. they, they were doing some of the covers and they did this cover and the next month's cover for Iron Man, but it's just, it's a stellar cover. It looks like it looks Mm -hmm. 20 years easily. Oh um, yeah. You know, uh, it like 20 years in the future of what, Mm -hmm. of that art style is. That's all. Yeah. So, uh, oh, and, and the other thing I have to mention, which is kind of a bummer, is that um, so it's not just that Archie Goodwin has the month off here. Uh, it's that 
the last month's issue was the last Archie Goodwin uh, one from oh, the whoa. run uh, from his run. So, um, yeah, he, uh, he after this, I think I think Mimi Gold writes this one, and then um, there's another writer who comes in for like maybe half a dozen issues, um, and then I think Jerry Conway takes it over after hmm. that. So. Um, but yeah, well, so, so they lost Kirby and Archie in the same like rapid succession. Uh, I don't know if Archie winds up moving on to anything else. He does do some DC work in he the 70s, but I'm yeah. not I'm not sure the timing exactly. I don't know if it's right now. I don't know if he's just jumping <sighs> ship to DC. Um, yeah, I know he writes Fantastic Four at some point in the 70s, but I don't know if that's coming right up now. So mm. yeah, we don't do our research, everybody. <laughs> it's part of our charm. <laughs> yeah. We're, di- we're discovering this as you do. Um, even though, you know, we could read about it. Uh, we're busy anyway. reading comics. We're, you know, it's a very <laughs> yeah. busy time for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's get into this story, okay. um, su- such as it is. It's a pretty, pretty slight story. Um, so uh, anyway, like I said, the story begins with uh, Tony Stark on his yacht. He's caught in a storm um, with the weather calms. He uh, finds and rescues a boat full of refugees who are fleeing an unnamed Latin American country that is, I mean, it's meant to be Cuba. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, that's the stand in uh, for Cuba. Um, they never say that. They never give the country a name, um, not even a fake name, but that's what it is. Uh, there has been a Castro style revolution in that country. But uh, when uh, Iron Man investigates uh, at the urging of the refugees, in particular, a very attractive female refugee named Maria. You, who survived on the boat with dangly earrings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, she, right. she looks amazing. Everyone <laughs> yeah. else on that book looks like uh, boat looks like crap. Um, so he uh, so Iron Man investigates. He, he learns that um, it's not just a military junta that's running the show, um, but uh, a massive supercomputer named the Overseer. I, did, um, I didn't see that. I didn't see the Overseer coming. I didn't either. And that's <laughs> yeah. where this thing just takes like a real Kirby turn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, Anyway, Iron Man, uh, he discovers the Overseer. Um, he's going to shut it down. Um, it unleashes this big drone robot called the Myrmidon at him. So he fights a giant robot for a while, as Iron Man is wont to do. Meanwhile, the people rise up against the Overseer because they think one of its electric eye towers has killed a boy. Um, uh, he, he's fine, as it turns out. So <laughs> I was briefly shocked and then unshocked. Yeah, I was yeah. like, they really went in on this, like, people were, he was a martyr. They, you yeah, know, a yeah. lot of things were mentioned that sounded like that boy was definitely killed, which I was yeah. like, whoa, that's pretty weird in a comic to just off a kid. Yeah. Um, and then like two pages before the end is like, oh, he's fine. He's Never mind. <laughs> just <laughs> twisted his ankle. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, Iron Man disables the overseer. He defeats Myrmidon. He helps the people rise up and overthrow their oppressors in like an afternoon. <laughs> um, and then uh, he, uh, Tony Stark uh, accepts the thanks of the pretty lady refugee who asked for help because there is nothing that Tony Stark won't do to impress a pretty lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when he's all alone, uh, he stares out of the window and is sad for vague reasons. <laughs> oh, poor white savior. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like I said, there's, there's not a ton to this. I mean, it really feels like which I think it is probably the case. Like, hey, we need to fill twenty pages of this book for whatever reason. 
You've written a couple things for our anthologies. Can you give us a 20-page Iron Man story in a day and a half? Um, and we'll have, you know, Don Heck and Chick Stone draw it. Um, and and that's the way it went. You know, not exactly set up for success here, uh, where it's like, oh, you know, the best Iron Man writer that we have seen on the book so far uh, has just left. We need a rush job fill-in here. Can you throw something together for us? Uh, I know Don Heck is going to draw it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of wondering if they told her not to use any of the supporting staff or cat characters like just to keep it as a, a bottle episode kind of thing. Like I think I could see that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. And, and do, I also, I need to talk about one thing in the letters page too. Please know, do. Yeah. yeah. So the first letter this month was from a Patrick Rosencrantz from Portland, Oregon, hey. um, lived downtown because they do have the full address here. Um, they, they doxed yeah. all of their letter writers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but a couple of things he said, which I thought, you know, might be woke lip service, but let's see. Um, he says, uh, many people do not realize the media power in comic books. They consider them to be a low-level form of literature fit only for semi-literates. They do not realize that comics in every form are as responsible in forming their opinions and tastes as most newspapers and magazines. Mm-hmm. Then he later says, as Marvel achieved more financial security and as its artists and writers evolved their crafts, instead of merely capitalizing on a tested pattern, you have had the courage to use your broadening media power to speak out on controversial issues. You show that winos exist, that students and, and blacks have legitimate claims, that today is a period of unrest that seriously affects the lives of many people. So, oh. um, yeah, somebody somebody was getting it. And, uh, and the, the response was very, very much like, I, oh, you notice what we're doing. Thank you. You know? Um, so it's, a. I thought it was very cool and very, um, you know, it just, it was nice that it happened to come from here, uh, from, from the people from somewhere in in this town so long ago. Yeah. Uh, how do, how's the, I I don't have the letter in front of me. How's the last name spelled? R-O-S-E-N-K-R-A-N-Z. Yep. So I believe uh, Patrick Rosencrantz uh, was also a comic scholar who has written numerous books and articles about the counterculture comics of the 1960s, including Rebel Visions, the Underground Comics Revolution. Cool. Uh, yeah. And he is a photojournalist and portrait photographer. Nice. Oh. Yeah. Well, Patrick, call us. I hope you're, I hope you're extant. But um, yeah, <laughs> that's that's what I like to lead with when I uh, reach out to potential guests. It's like, yeah. I hope you are well and alive. Right. First, first, if you're alive uh, and some you could send an email uh, or something, let us know. I mean, I and if you're not and communication is an option, well, we'll take that, too. Yeah, yeah. that sounds even more interesting. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I mean, if this is the same Patrick Rosencrantz, this is kind of great. Like he's uh, he's done uh, a bunch of stuff for Fanographics, um, including um, like uh, like scholarly books on uh, the underground art of Spain, uh, like stuff on S. Clay Wilson. I bet Douglas knows this guy. Yeah, well, let's find out. Yeah. Okay. Well, that so I I derailed for the letters column, and it worked out pretty well. All right, Jamie, uh, bring us home. Uh, sure. Boy, ever since we talked about that issue of Kzar Quarterly that had that 10-page uh, 
story about Hercules getting chased by the huntsman that Zeus sent after him. Mm-hmm. I've been on the edge of my damn seat. <laughs> yeah. Like, how is this going to wrap up? Well, I'm here to help tell that tale. This is Fear the Hunter, Submariner 29, written by Roy Thomas, art by Sal Duchema, and Joe Guadioso, Matt Esposito. So Neymar waves goodbye to the teens that he helped last issue. And I love that this book consistently does this. They give you just a little like tip of what was going on last Previously, time. Previously, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just like a nice little piece of continuity. It's really funny because usually that splash page is used to like tease what you're about to see. Um, yeah. But instead it's just like, he's on a dock waving to teens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not since Spider-Man number 10 has there been such a tribute to teenagers. <laughs> I hope I got the issue number right. That's a really good joke. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Uh, so he, he waves goodbye to the kids, uh, dives off into the sea, uh, thinking about how he told Diane to kind of put a lid on her feelings for him since their their respective peoples don't get along too well. Slash, I've got a lady back home. And, blue lady friend. Yeah, blue lady friend. Uh, so then we cut to the lavender-clad, bull-cut-headed uh, huntsman of Zeus, uh, who's just monologuing on a rock about how he can't go back to Olympus until he finishes his quest. Uh, which seems briefly like that quest might be beating up Namor, uh, but that's not it. Uh, he also mentions that his staff enchants. Oh, he has a, a, like a power staff of some kind from Zeus, and he used it to enchant a reef that Namor will soon swim by. He, cre- Namor, he creates this reef with an enchantment. Yeah. Oh, he creates? Okay. Yeah, this reef didn't exist, so he's like, Namor's going to totally notice this reef that <laughs> yeah, wasn't there before. Yeah, yeah Namor swimming by, he's like, hey, what's up with this reef? Yeah. <laughs> Better- he's got a photographic memory for reefs. <laughs> yeah, he's just There's, into reefs. So Huntsman um, of Zeus uses the staff of Zeus to call three green sirens who entrance Namor. He then tells Namor the tale of Zeus and Hercules having an argument, which is the same scene we've seen a hundred times between Thor and Odin. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, it's the same thing. Uh, the Dad, I want to hang out on Earth. No, you shouldn't. You should hang out here. I'm going. Okay, then don't talk to me. You take your stuff. You don't get an allowance anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like a state sketch. <laughs> so the Huntsman was tasked with Huntsmaning down Hercules to return him to Asgard. I mean, Olympus. Uh, so he sends hmm. Namor to capture him. We get a little page of Vashti, uh, Dorma, and Arando Atlantean at a desk, watching in horror as Namor is only momentarily captured by a net, uh, but then he breaks free and swims off like crazy to find Hercules. Yeah, they see him just swimming by Atlantis, so they're like, hey, there's Namor, hey, Namor, and he doesn't respond, so they just shoot a net at him to try to shock him into <laughs> they they've realized he's probably possessed because so they yeah. see his eyes which yeah. are like his pupils are just like tiny little pinpoints yeah he's on yeah. he's on something he's but, on yeah. something so uh hercules and namor have a mostly new nude kind of brag fight uh until they accidentally send a boulder down a hill that will end up crushing a village namor beats boulder but boulder beats enchantment so Namor is restored, and then they discuss how they can beat Huntsman together. Um, this is really only an issue because of the powerful staff that Huntsman has. Right. So 
the huntsman then shows up and this is where things kind of really pop off. So <laughs> they, they can't touch the staff or they'll be turned to stone, I guess they'll be made immobile. Yeah. Or they'll be possessed. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but yeah, it's not they, the most clear. They lose their power and he has control over them. Mm-hmm. Right. They so right. Um, so then the staff conjures up some lightning, which turns into these three giant and vague, but cool looking monster things for one awesome panel. I thought it was going to be that the whole way through. And like I was very Kaiju excited. time. Yeah. Yeah. So they solidify into like straight, straight up Greek monsters, uh, which I think some, at least some of them are trials of Hercules stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sherry, yeah. this it's actually, uh, Curbidus. Curbidus. Yeah. Yeah. Curbidus. Yeah. Skyla and Polyphemus. Yeah. The Cyclops. Yeah. Right. The Cyclops. <laughs> yeah. But not that Cyclops. No. And it's a Stone Colossus, but not that Stone Colossus. Correct. <laughs> so amazingly, Namor fastball specials Hercules into. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, I was like, yay. There's all uh, sorts of X-Men adjacent stuff in these yeah, couple pages. Yeah, you get a Colossus, a Cyclops, and a Fastball Special. Yep. Uh, so he Fastball Specials into Polyphemus, who, uh, oh, all, well, meanwhile, Namor swings Curbidus into Skyla. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would like some uh, iTunes star ratings for my pronunciation of all for of that. looking up to the pronunciations <laughs> of these I did <laughs> <laughs> uh so they're kind of crushing oh, it uh, spe- oh, speaking of, speaking of looking up uh, it was uh, amazing spider-man number eight was the oh you were teenagers off. oh whoa, yeah. wow you were yeah. really close yeah yeah that was like a little terrifyingly close yeah um so sorry everybody no no I i'm out i'm out, out. <laughs> <laughs> i can't work under these conditions <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what's happening with this? Yeah, meanwhile, with these barely clad men, oh, these man. Greek Greek kaiju's and nude men. Yeah, yeah. so they are fighting. Uh, Herc is reveling in the glory of battle until Huntsman comes back with his power draining staff and uses it on Hercules. I mean, you've got some mostly nude men wrestling, and you've got a lot of talk about staffs. I don't know. Yeah. I think I feel like Chelsea Kane would have a field day with this. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And then just a creepy little skinny pervert with a bowl cut in the background. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, in a, that's, in a that's the huntsman. Shirt. Yeah. 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 And, but he's got gloves uh, because that's well, weird. Of course, of course he's got gloves. Yeah. Can't be handling a staff without gloves. Oh man. <laughs> Velvet gloves. I don't know. So Hercules is kind of. <laughs> okay. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Get uh, so Hercules is down for the count. Namor is feeling stressed out, but he manages to grab a rock from the stone monster and throws it at the huntsman, causing him to drop the staff, which in turn causes the monsters to to fade from existence. Hercules, now restored, lifts the huntsman, possibly by the groin. I think it's by the groin. If you look at the panel, it kind of looks like he's lifting him by the groin. Oh, that's a a groin lift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he's doing this until Zeus pulls a real Odin and manifests a tight close-up of his face in the sky and renders namor unconscious and just zeus, beams everybody back to yeah well, well zeus says that namor is so noble that he's hit hercules wanting to hang out on the cool pad like earth but then hercules hears his dad say that earth is cool no longer wants anything to do with it and <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he's to return to olympus along with onsen 
And then Neymar wakes up with no memory of what just happened and an urge to break a stick in half, even though he knows it's not a magic staff. So he breaks the stick and then walks off into the sunset. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Well, aside from a lot of homoerotic subtext, not not a lot to say about this one. Yeah. At least I don't. I, don't I like. I think Hercules. I do like that every time he shows up, he is about as fully formed as he always has been. In the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like he much like Thor, but he like. He just loves being in a fight. Like yep. he's so stoked every he's time. He's just a, a party boy who doesn't think things through. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And angers quickly. Yeah. So yeah. he's great. It's like uh, in real life, uh, I usually hate these people, but uh, Hercules, I love him. I don't have to <laughs> hang out with him actually. So it's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so fellas, that is the uh, the issues that we were going to talk about on this episode. So um, last thing to do uh, is to say uh, if we had a buck to spend on comics uh, in June of 1970, if we'd already bought the issues that we talked about with Matt Fraction last week, uh, we would have 40 cents left over. Um, That is enough for two of this month's comics. Uh, The Black Widow story that we talked about, um, that's the second half of Amazing Adventures number two, which we already talked about with Fraction. So Mm. you get that one for free. Um, So uh, you got two of these. Which two are you going to choose? That is tough. Rob, we'll start with you. Man, I uh, I love the the dumb weirdness of Spidey, the fighting the the Doc Ock's arms. That that just amused me to no end. And even the cover would have got me. And then I get where if I'm thinking about the covers, mm. Cap Captain America and Red Skull would draw me in, but uh. The, the Hulk story is also something I was like really waiting to find out about. Like, what mm-hmm. do they do with these two separated? Yeah. Um, but I think it, I would end up uh, going with Daredevil because it is hilarious. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so the ones I covered turned out yep. to be my favorites this month. But yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Spider-Man and off-brand Spider-Man. Yep. <laughs> uh, Jamie, what about you? Uh, I would go with Avengers. That is a jam-packed issue. A ton goes on. There's a lot of Mr. X. He had a lot of good character stuff. We didn't really talk about it, but um, Hawkeye uh, is like acting like such a jerk through a lot of it. And like they kind of frame that as him being still upset about the Scarlet uh, Black Widow leaving. Yeah. um, Which like tethers the book to the past a little bit. And like, I I think that's cool. Scarlet Witch had some like inner monologue. Like they give her thought bubbles, which is Mm -hmm. always great. And he's really rude to her. Uh, time yeah. times um, yeah. yeah yeah he's uh, just like like taking out his his frustrations with one woman on all women yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's certainly yeah. making a statement mm-hmm. uh yeah and then you've got the um the wonder man and um uh grim reaper stuff mm-hmm. like i thought that was like a really interesting thing for like a villain that you don't really see too much and also mm-hmm. a team of villains like that we haven't seen a lot of like team ups mm-hmm. that are that big and, yeah. and with like, these aren't A-list villains, but they're they're up there. Mm-hmm. They had a decent plan until they found out they were their plan was foiled from the beginning with the, tri- <laughs> right. the triple double double cross. Yeah, yeah, it was Ocean Eleven tued. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so yeah. So long story short, I would I would go with Avengers, uh, and also Vision leaves. So that's like a big thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then what else? You, you uh, get two. I get yeah. two. Uh, I'd go with Hulk. Oh yeah, that cliffhanger that was huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first time that the Hulk and Banner are separated into two separate things, that's like a super yeah. strong premise. 
Yeah. Um, I would, so I got to say like none of these, the stories this month really grabbed me. Um, uh, I mean, Spider-Man had some great like weirdness to it, um, which I appreciate. Um, but I think I would make my choice based on art, uh, I think for this month. Um, so I would go Avengers because it's John Buscema with Tom Palmer inking, Mm -hmm. um, which is a, a real good combo. Um, and then even though like <laughs> there was a lot of the content that made me cringe, uh, but that Hulk issue um, with uh, Herb Trimpey uh, being inked by um, Severin, John Severin is that's yeah. uh, just I, I I well we haven't seen it yet, um, mm. and I really loved it. Um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean like honorable mentions as far as art goes, uh, I would say the Iron Man story. As much as I found it you know pretty unsatisfying, um, I. The, I, I think the the language uh, in the individual panels and captions was really good. Yeah, um, and the it, art uh, was was weird and gorgeous um, in its own very strange way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the colors were just so bold in that one too. I think the color really worked for it. So yeah, it's uh, funny to have an issue with so many people doing great work mm-hmm. and have it like not add up to like a great comic book. Like each individual piece is kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think uh, I think it is like, you know, you got to do a certain number of these things before you really um, before it all clicks, um, mm-hmm. you know. And if you can't get your reps in for whatever reason, um, it's it's tricky to pull off. So anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, th- that would be uh, my choices would be uh, Hulk and Avengers. So, um, yeah. Well, that's it. Uh, that is all we have for this episode. That is all we have for this season. Uh, we are rung dry. We have <laughs> crawled across the finish line at last. Um, What's the next thing? We left it all out in the ring. We left it. Yeah. We left it all out on the field. Field, right? We left yeah. it on the field. The field. We need it, it need electrolytes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go drink some uh, some sugary electrolytes now. Um, and, uh, yeah, so our, our plan is we're going to take uh, February off to line up the next season for you all. And we will be launching in March. Uh, if you miss us while we're away, uh, Hey, why don't you, uh, consider supporting us at the $4 a month level at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month. You can dip into our extensive bonus feed of expanded episodes and Patreon exclusive bonus episodes. And of course, to stay in the loop on everything we're doing, um, follow us on Instagram at Marvel by the Month, um, uh, and on Twitter at Marvel BTM. We just today crossed over into a thousand followers on Instagram, which is yeah, yeah. quite a milestone. And then uh, MarvelByTheMonth.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. And I think one of the things that we're going to be doing over the next month or so is. Uh, I know we have talked about getting uh, some some new stuff up there, but uh, that might actually. Uh, might actually come together once we have some time time. away from doing this. (laughs) Um, Speaking of time away, um, I don't know if it will be attached here or in the bonus feed, the, uh, the new Rick Jones song I completed. So as promised, so that's got to go somewhere or it's going to be, be there when we come back. So we'll, we'll discuss and you'll find out. <laughs> there you go. Oh, also, um, uh, we we are at sixty eight stars on uh, uh, or ratings on iTunes. So you know, if you want to be the one to leave the sixty ninth star, <laughs> you've got that kind of class. This, <laughs> this is your chance. Yep. Uh, <laughs> boy, that sure would be nice. Um, all right. <laughs> 
well, that's it, everybody. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode, to the season, to this show. Um, we love making it for you. We are taking a break, but uh, we're excited to come back rested, refreshed, uh, and ready to talk about comic books. Um, until then, uh, for Marvel by the Month, I'm Brian Stratton. I'm Rob Milne. And I'm Jamie Wenger. And we'll see you in about a month for next month. Bye.